Are you in anyone's will? Have you ever thought about that? Um, do you, uh, are you expecting an inheritance? Um, <laughs> maybe you're sitting, well, that's an odd question. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting in our American culture, uh, sometimes wills aren't settled, you know, right, very, very well. Um, I found out this, uh, I was just finished some paperwork this last week because apparently I was in a will that I didn't know about. It was a relative. Um, and it was kind of interesting because um, this was an uncle that I really didn't know very well. Uh, what I remember was we used to get a cottage um, on a lake for a week. We'd rent a cottage and we'd run around and have a great time. And usually one night um, Uncle Chet would come up with his family and Uncle Chet was a great fisherman and we'd fish all week long and wouldn't catch anything. He'd throw a line and he'd be pulling fish out like nobody's business. He'd be sitting there with a cigar on the dock, you know, fishing and pulling, uh, just pulling fish in left and right. So I'd find memories of Uncle Chet. He had one son and a wife and apparently his wife passed and his son passed and uh, no other family. And uh, the, the other times I remember Uncle Chet is when we were in the Polish part of town and we were hanging around with our Polish uh, relatives and, you know, they were John and eating kibasa and all that other stuff. But the interesting thing was uh, there was no money, obviously. It was just a sign because his uh, the care for him kind of ate up whatever there might have been. The point was it was really surprising to me that I was in a will that just would have never... I didn't even know it, and so I had to go and get papers signed and take care of the legal process. What's interesting to me is, in the Old Testament times, wills were settled at birth. The firstborn would get two-thirds of the estate that was just settled. It was, you know, if you're born first, you get it, you know. And so we saw that a little bit last weekend. We saw how... These two sons, these two twins were within uh, the womb of their mother. And the, the mother was told, she, she was told, and there was, a, there was a ruckus in the womb. And she was told, uh, the, the older will serve the younger. And sure enough, Esau was born. He was the firstborn, and he would have been the one who had gotten, would have get, get two-thirds of the inheritance. And Jacob, the uh, secondborn, the twin, would, would get... Uh, one-third of the inheritance. And so, uh, but here's the thing. They, they grew up, and they, both, they all knew what was said to Rachel. They're, 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 it was all, they all knew what was going to happen. And yet, instead of Jacob waiting on God, he takes things into his own hands. And he begins to wrench the... the uh, inheritance away from his older brother and we're going to see that struggle and we're going to see the first the first part of the plan this and what's worse is his mother's helping him you know his mother's there right there with him helping him scheming and we're going to see one of those incidences this week but um this is one of those passages kind of interesting because we have this wrestling between there's this divine, God has a divine plan, a divine will, and then there's the human responsibility where our choices matter. And we're going to see that in this passage too. But here's the thing. God is basically saying to the mother, the older will serve the younger, meaning Jacob would be the one, the son of promise, the one who would receive the inheritance and ultimately the messianic line. Uh, instead of waiting on God, though, Jacob tries to take things into his own hands. So we'll see how that plays out. So we're going to jump into that passage. It's on uh, page 20. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. It's on page 20. It's Genesis chapter 25. 
And we're going to see uh, how Jacob is going to try to steal the blessing or the inheritance from his older brother, Esau. So Genesis chapter 25, verse 29, page 20. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm about to, I'm about, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, First you must swear, bringing God into it, that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal and then got up and left. And then notice the last line. I have this underlined. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. And what was the significance of the firstborn? Well, maybe you heard this. Uh, Prince died a couple weeks ago, and not sure what happened, but apparently left a huge estate. Now, if you're here and you say, oh, a prince died somewhere in the world, you're like in left field, and you'll need to ask somebody after the service what I'm talking about. I don't have time to bring you up to speed. But anyways, they think that his estate uh, was probably somewhere around uh, $300 million. And the way that um, Minnesota law is, if, uh, if, if there's no will found, then each sibling, because he has no alive parents that are alive, each sibling would receive an equal share. So he has a sister and some half-siblings. Half uh, but they will share an equal portion of the estate. And... Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of stuff is going on behind the scenes, and there's a lot of people who are claiming, yes, yes, I'm related to Prince, and, you know, and I met him once, or, you know, whatever. And so there's going to be a lot of DNA testing done and a lot of litigation probably. Uh, but, you know, as I said before, in the Old Testament, the, the inheritance was settled at birth. If you were the firstborn, you got two-thirds of the inheritance, uh, you know, the, if you were uh, after that, then, you know, it was proportionate. So the firstborn would receive that double portion. And not just that, Esau was to be seen as to handle the family matters and to, uh, you know, again, he was probably only minutes born first, but he's still born first, right? Uh, that's the way it worked. So Esau was uh, in line to receive a double portion of his inheritance and, uh, certainly a position of authority within the family. Uh, but we're going to see what he does is he rejects this, this inheritance. He rejects this. Now, uh, it's kind of interesting. He comes in from the wilderness. We're not told where he's been or how long he's been in the wilderness, but he comes in uh, from the fields and he sees his brother, Jacob, who happens to be there, which seems to be to be a little bit too convenient that he happens to be there with Stu, ready to go, and all of a sudden he's become a chef. And that just seems a little bit, as you read a little bit more about Jacob, you think, nah, he, he kind of had, he, he, he kind of was pretty, pretty plotting. He was pretty, you know, he just... It seems like this might have been a setup. Esau comes in and he claims, I must eat or I'm going to die. Now, 
probably he's not going to die, but he's pretty hungry, right? And so he has this stew going, and like any good brother, Jacob says, Brother, sit down. Uh, you look famished. Let me get you some stew. And he, no, that's not what he does, because this is not a healthy family, as we said last weekend. No, he says, yeah, okay, I think I can give you some, but first you've got to give me something. How about the inheritance? How, how about that? And he does. He finally, and he finally, you know, it seems as though Esau's thinking, well, if I just promise it, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll get it anyways. What's a word anyways? But he makes him swear on it. He swears on it. And he gives away his, his birthright for a bowl of red stew. And the, 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 the comment in the Old Testament is very, in the passage read is very clear. He despised it. He's de- he despised his inheritance. He just treated it with disrespect. Now, the writer of Hebrews, and this is why I said last weekend, and why I'll see, you'll probably see me saying it on a regular basis, that the Old Testament, understanding the Old Testament context is so important to understand what it's saying in the New Testament. So turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This is on page 928, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Because the writer of Hebrews is going to look back at this episode, and he's going to make a comment, a moral comment about Esau in Hebrews chapter 12. And, and now that you know the context and what's going on there, you'll see that this is a pretty big deal, what Esau's doing. And not just what Esau's doing, what Jacob is doing. Notice what it says. This is uh, Hebrews 12, 16, page 928. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. We're going to see that episode coming up, where Jacob is going to go even a step further in stealing the the birthright. So, we have Esau giving away his birthright, his inheritance to Jacob. And we have Jacob scheming to steal it from him. And yet God has said to his mother, while the kids are in the womb, the older will serve the younger. In other words, God has a sovereign plan for these two boys and for this family. And yet the two boys are carrying the plan out. And they're freely choosing to do it in the way they do it. And it's not necessarily good. Esau's being condemned by the writer of Hebrews, which he should be, for disrespecting his birthright. Jacob is trying to rip it away and steal it. And, and you know, the other, the younger brother, Jacob, he is, instead of waiting for God, he is trying to snatch it with his cleverness. Uh, Esau should, should never have agreed to the deal. He should have prized his birthright, but he didn't. Now, it probably wasn't a matter of life or death. Esau probably wasn't going to die. It uh, wasn't the end of the world. Uh, and it's easy for us to stop and say, oh, what a horrible person Esau was. And what a horrible person Jacob was. And the lesson is, don't be like Esau and don't be like Jacob. But you know what? Here's the problem. When we look in the mirror, we kind of are. Uh, let, me give you a little, let me give you a couple of things. The thing that we see with Esau is this. He, had, he gulped down the food without even a thought. He had no value for something as prized as his birthright. And here's the thing. What we see is a man who is driven by his 
appetites. He was driven by his appetites. Now, before we go all Holy Spirit on Esau, let's uh, look into the mirror. Has there ever been a time where we've allowed our appetites to cause us to make horrible decisions? We've not long looked long-term. We've not looked at the consequences, but we've just looked at the red stew before us. And we said, I have to have that. And I don't really care, and I don't even want to think about the consequences. In fact, don't tell me about the consequences, because this stew really looks good. And, and, and it goes like this. How many marriages have been shipwrecked for momentary pleasure? Right? You know you know people in your family, friends, that have lost their marriage because there was red stew. How many reputations have been destroyed by the spur-of-the-moment shortcuts? You know, how little do we treasure the privilege of being called God's children when we take sin so lightly? We mock Jesus and His sacrifice, and we, 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 uh, we shun our Father in heaven when we sin. We make light of it. We, 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 we think statements like, well, I can sin now and ask for forgiveness later. And, and so we do the same thing. The principle is this. When we are driven by our appetites, we are willing to exchange what is of eternal value for a brief momentary pleasure. And this is really an important principle in Scripture. That the enemy is going to come to you with a bowl of red stew and he's going to say, you need this now. And you'll be dumb enough to say, and, and he'll say, no one will know. It won't hurt anyone. It's good for you. Do it. Go ahead. And, and then you'll look back, and it, it, it's interesting how the enemy plays both sides, too. First, he says, do it. It's okay. No one will find out. You're, you know, you're not a bad person, and then you do it, and everybody finds out, and it's got incredible consequences that you never even dreamed of. And the enemy comes to you and says, and you call yourself a Christian. He plays both sides of it. So, I mean, that's the way it works. But we're told that Esau despised his birthright. He took the holy and despised it, trading it for a bowl of red stew. And there's a whole group of people who are outside uh, the inheritance. You know, we, we come across them. There are people today who know the gospel. They understand it clearly. They They know that that uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But they mock it. They make fun of it. They make light of it. In fact, many people, instead of, instead of honoring Christ and bowing down to Christ, they say, is there another way? Let's look for another way. Just go to any bookstore and go into any spirit, uh, spiritual living or personal life section of it, and you'll find all sorts of stuff. You'll, you'll find, it's almost as though they say, there's got to be a way other than Jesus. And if there's a way other than Jesus, that's what I want, because I don't want anything to do with Him. Many people today despise the holy, the sacred, the hand of God. You know, I was thinking back, and I was thinking of, uh, and I wore the tie in honor of that, Noah's Ark. Um, you know, Noah, when he built the ark, there weren't a whole bunch of people that came along to Noah and said, Hey, do you need a hand with that? This is really a holy task you're involved in. No. His neighbor said, You're an idiot. What's wrong with you? You're You're ridiculous. It's not going to rain. What is rain? <laughs> you're, you're crazy, right? Then he built the ark, and it began to rain. It began to flood. And I've got to tell you something. I don't think, and, and, and again, I watched the movie Noah. I watched it. 
And, and, and Noah wasn't standing on the gangplank with a shotgun trying to keep people off the boat. No one cared. No one believed. And, and it's the same. You, you, and I know there was a stowaway on the, in the movie, okay? It's not in Scripture, all right? Somebody didn't just jump on the boat and hide and plot, and it didn't happen, all right? My point is this. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. You know, judgment was coming and nobody cared. They took the sacred warning and they made fun of it. He preached. He told them. And no, he didn't even have, he could have had the door open and no one walked in other than the animals and his family. Today, there's many people who have no real interest in God or his way of salvation. In fact, people will look anywhere other than Jesus. And they will say stuff like, well, how dare Jesus claim to be the only way? But Esau possessed the birthright. It was his. And he gave it away without a thought for a few gulps of red stew. Well, let's look at the restoration of the birthright, the inheritance. Esau hated his inheritance. Jacob schemed to get the inheritance. Uh, what are we going to do with these two boys? One of them doesn't, doesn't understand the precious gift that he's been given. The other one wants to steal it from his brother. Um, what do we do? Most of us would answer... Which one deserves the, the, the inheritance? Most of us say neither one. Neither one of us. Neither one of them do. Uh, all, all this, uh, this is where it shows up. You, you never see, the, the thing that's interesting about Esau too is he didn't do anything. Did you notice he didn't get to do anything to earn this inheritance? He was just born first. That's it. So he, he didn't earn a birthright. It was given to him. Jacob, though, tried to maneuver for the birthright, but God gave it to him. Um, he told, and, and that's the thing, Jacob didn't have to maneuver for it because God was going to give it to him as a gift. And it was, it was a decision that was made while the kid, and it's, this is really an important theological idea because it's all through, especially in the book of Romans, that this decision was made by God before the babies were born. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But how does God save sinners like Esau, Jacob, and us? God saves sinners like Jacob because he must send a Savior who would regard his birthright, that of being equal with God, as something he would not greedily grasp, but willingly give up. So Jesus had the birthright, and he willingly gave it up. He didn't grasp it. He didn't try to steal it. Or, and for Esau, he must send a Savior who would not despise his birthright, but treasure it uh, so much that he would only give it up, only give it up by giving his life for ours. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus purchased our pardon by giving up the privilege of his birthright so that we could find his forgiveness. That he, get, he set aside his birthright so that we could live. And he, he did that when he came from heaven to earth to save us as a rescue party of one. That's not all. He also shares his inheritance with us. The Bible tells us there is an inheritance for all those who place their trust in Christ. And I began the message by asking you, are you in anyone's will? Do you have an inheritance coming? And if you're in Christ, you have an inheritance coming. In fact, you can read about it in Hebrews chapter 9. This is on page 925. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us about an inheritance that we have when we are in Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. The writer says this, This is why he is the one, speaking of Jesus, who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive, notice what, 
the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they have committed under the first covenant. So in other words, it says not only are your sins forgiven, but you are you are, have an inheritance. In other words, Jesus doesn't just set aside his inheritance so that we could live, but he gives us a portion of the inheritance. We receive an inheritance, and it's the eternal inheritance. And, and the Bible tells us in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is the assurance that we will receive the inheritance. Well, how do we receive the eternal inheritance? Paul says something in Romans, and this is where I want to stop for a minute. Uh, it's quite striking, and it's quite distressing. And uh, if I get this right, you're going to walk out, and you're going to say, I don't understand this. This is, this, I'm struggling with this. this is, I'm wrestling with this. It's, Paul says in Romans, the phrase he uses is, and he's referring back to these two boys. He says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Now, let me read you the Latin. So the, I don't have this verse in your notes, but it's Romans 9, verse 11. Let me read you uh, uh, the rest of that. Before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. Here's Paul's point. Now let me read it to you, and then I'll, we'll talk about it. We're not chosen because of anything we've done. In other words, he's saying Esau did nothing to deserve this. He had, was a baby in a womb. It wasn't because of anything he had done or any good thing that he would do. It wasn't that he would become a really good person because he didn't. <laughs> you know, Jacob was the same. Jacob wasn't chosen because he was good or because he was, you know, he did any, you know, a good thing. It wasn't because they were good or because they would do good or because God would see uh, that they would have faith. In other words, God looks at them, they have faith, there, you're ch- I'm going to choose you. It wasn't by that, but according to God's gracious will and purpose. In other words, what he's saying here, what Paul's saying here, and it's overstatement. Um, he's, it's not saying, that, oh, I hate, I hate you, Esau. The point is, it's overstatement. The point is, he's saying, before the twins could choose, before the, chin, cho- the twins were even born, before the twins ever did anything, God in his sovereign will decided what it's saying in other words so so here's here's the two strands we have that we wrestle with in scripture that god had a sovereign plan now what we're seeing here is that god said the the older will serve the younger and what's the younger doing he's stealing the birthright what's the older doing he's giving the birthright to the younger so they're actually carrying out god's plan but how are they doing it sinfully esau's despising his birthright jacob's trying to steal it but they're still carrying out God's sovereign plan. But neither one of them is sitting there going, I'm a puppet. I, I don't want to do this. I feel this drive to despise my inheritance. And Jacob's saying, I know I should wait on the Lord, but there's this real pull that's pushing me to steal it. No, no, no. It's a free choice. Just like, just like God said, uh, uh, there's an ark. There's judgment coming. You, you have a choice. Get on the ark or die. Now, Here's the point. There's this tension in Scripture between God's sovereign will and our free choice. 
And some people say, well, if God is sovereign, then I really don't have a free choice. And other people say, well, if I, if I have a free choice, then really God isn't sovereign, right? And so how does that work out? And, and the answer is, it works out well when you speak of the free will of man and the sovereignty of God separately. When you bring them together, it just gets really confusing real quick. Because you say, well, if God is sovereign, then how could I possibly have a free will? Right? Isn't that the struggle that we have? So, um, so let's talk about how this plays out. It's a, it, the, the Bible calls it a mystery. That's what the Bible calls it. So, so in the case of Esau and Jacob, basically what it's saying is that God chose one son over the other before they were born. And the two sons carried out God's plan to the T. But they were still responsible for their, their behavior and their actions. He saw his actions were sinful. He was responsible for them. So let me give you an illustration that maybe help you. We often think that uh, we, and from our perspective, from my perspective, I came to Christ, I found Jesus, and you know all that. And but I know in Scripture that it says, no, He came looking for me because I was a lost sheep. Now here's the thing. Here's 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 where it gets interesting. So, uh, when we think of salvation, the Bible says a couple of things we don't want to hear. It says we're all sinners. That we all fall short. That there's not one that seeks God. No, not one. That all our righteous acts are, are, righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. That we are not pursuing God, we are running away from Him. That's what Scripture says. Now, but it also says that God pursues us. That God finds us like a shepherd finding a lost sheep. And he brings us home. Now, how does that work out? It works out like this. Why is this so important? What God is trying to show us through Esau and Jacob is the boys, it had nothing to do with the boys. It had everything to do with God's sovereign grace. It was God's grace. The boys couldn't brag. Jacob couldn't brag. We can't brag. What do we brag about? I was a better sinner than you? I wasn't as bad as you? No. I bring nothing to the table. That's essentially that's what Scripture says. I was dead. I was lost. I was running away from God. Here's the illustration. Let's say you have three or five friends. And uh, you grab them and, you say, and they, they tell you, Hey, we're going to go rob a bank on Monday at 12 o'clock. You say, no, that's stupid. Don't go rob a bank at Monday at 12 o'clock. It's dangerous. It's stupid. You, you, you could get hurt. It's, it's illegal. You know, all these reasons. No, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And you go, well, this is dumb. Don't do it. And, and uh, so, uh, they, you, so you go to their house, and you go at 11 o'clock, and there they are. They're packing up. I don't know what they pack up. Their shotguns, their masks, whatever, and they got the van, and... And you see, they're really going to do this. They got their little bags, and they're ready to go, and the gloves, and 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 they're ready to go. They're ready to run out the door, and get in the van, and go rob the bank. And you plead with them, and you say, "Don't do it. Don't go. Don't do it. No, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're tired. We're going to go rob the bank." And as they're going out the door, you grab the last person, and you tackle them. And he's fighting, and he's, he's trying to kick away in the foreign van and say, that's it, we're out of here, we're leaving. And they go, and they rob the bank. And they all get killed. The one you tackled is alive, 
And what does he say to you? Thank you for saving me. I didn't deserve it. I should have been in that bank. And I should be dead. You saved me. And I wasn't a good person. That's what the gospel says. It says if it weren't for the grace of God, that would be me. That's the power of the gospel. That's the point that the the writers are trying to make in Scripture. That the twins in the womb, God had a plan for them from the beginning. And God has opened your heart and opened your life. He saved you. Not because of anything you've done. Because of His sovereign grace. See, hearing the word of the gospel is not enough. There's a lot of people who have heard the gospel. It's accomplished by believing the believing faith is true, by placing your trust in Christ. And so from my perspective, I don't remember getting tackled. I don't remember the struggle. But I remember when my heart was turned. I remember when my eyes were open. I remember seeing things for the first time and saying, why didn't I see that before? Why? why where? What was, what was going on? This is all new. And some of you know what I'm talking about. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That we inherit eternal life and God puts his Holy Spirit within us. And, and what he says is that when, 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 whether you knew it or not, God was pursuing you, and God tackled you. And God said, I love you enough to give my life for you. And so now, our response is, well, I deserved it. Or I'm good enough. No, 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 no. You kind of go, why? Why me? And maybe that's one of the mysteries of this universe. Why would God choose you? Why would God save you? Why would God allow His grace to shower you? And the answer is, I don't know. But He did. You know, there's an argument that goes in the Old Testament. It says about the nation of Israel. Why did God choose Israel? Was it because they're the biggest nation? Or the most... No, it's because it says, essentially it says God chose because he chose. This is an encouragement because it tells us two things. It says that God is control and God has a plan for your life. But it also says that every one of your decisions matters. Remember, we go back to the table. We go back to Judas. And and God says, one of you is going to betray me. And he says to Judas, you don't, you know, what are you going to do? Judas walks out that night, and it says it was dark. He made a choice. So do we. See, our choices do matter, and God is sovereign. I don't know how that all works together. Nobody does. But the gospel says it is by grace. It's not because you were born in the right family. It's not because you lived a good life. It's not because God looks ahead and says, oh, you, you really finally have gotten your act together. No, 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 no. 
you're going to go rob a bank. And God grabbed you and tackled you, kicking and screaming. And then all of a sudden, the light went on, your heart was turned, your eyes were open, and you said, Duh, why didn't I see that before? It's because dead people don't see too well. And not only that, he says, not only will you be saved from the penalty of sin uh, and, and, and death, but you also receive an inheritance because Jesus shares an inheritance with us. And it says this in First Peter, God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I asked you at the beginning, are you in somebody's will? Do you have an inheritance coming? If you're in Christ, you have an inheritance coming. It's an eternal inheritance. And God has given us the promissory note of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to say, your inheritance is as good as delivered. That's the hope that we have today as followers of Jesus Christ. We're not good enough. We'll never be good enough. It's not an issue of good enough. It's that God is gracious enough that's what salvation is based upon, His grace. We ought to thank Him every day for it. Let's stand. Let's pray. And Father, You are gracious to us. More than we could ever, ever believe. We thank You that You have a sovereign plan, a sovereign will. And yet our choices still do matter. We have a plan. You have a plan, but we have our duty and we could take shortcuts like Jacob did. Or we can just trust your sovereign plan. Help us not to despise the inheritance that we have in Christ by our words and by our behavior. May we treasure it. We are cracked pots. We are crooked sticks. But because of your grace... You can do a whole lot through us. And you want to. There were 12 disciples. One walked out in darkness. The others followed you and were used in powerful ways for your glory. May it be so with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.